Good afternoon, I'm Susan Parker, and I'm with ELR Legal Search. Today on our ELR Presents podcast, I have a really special guest, really happy and proud to have her on, Rachel Bosch with Fringe Professional Development. Uh, she's their founder, and she's really got great advice. She's also really fun and funny, so I'm hoping that uh, this is a very informative, and I know it'll be an informative as well as a fun podcast today. We're going to make sure you have a couple takeaways before I introduce Rachel, I'd like to talk about those. We're going to just really help you find some clarity around your career, some helpful tips to really think about your career and what you want, and really understand that importance of feedback in helping you get to where you want to be. Of course, I'll be kind of interspersing a recruiter's view on how we see things when we interview and talk to different candidates. And then we'll look at what's in it for you to really implement some of the things that, that Rachel talks about. So that's what we'll be doing. And I'd like to just give you a brief intro about Rachel, and then we'll get this conversation going. Rachel's the managing director and founder of Fringe, and Fringe does a lot of different things. It's a consulting firm that I would put together if I had to do one or wanted to do one, and I do. But it's already done by Rachel, and she's amazing. They take cutting-edge, neuroscience-based learning techniques and research, and they create programming that really incorporates what your organization is looking for and what you individually are looking for in order to take your sort of your best self and get the best results. She works with leaders, she works with associates, she works with all kinds of folks, and she's really multi-talented and tasked with being a strategist, a coach, a speaker, and she's been certified in a whole bunch of different certificates and, and places, including Harvard Law School of Executive Studies, and Cornell, She's certified in DISC and Emotional Intelligence 2.0, all kinds of methodologies. I met her at the Professional Development Consortium and have had a blast getting to know her. She's incredible, and I'm really excited to have her here. So welcome, Rachel. Thank you, Susan. I'm so excited to talk. I'm always excited to talk to you. but Oh, yes. And we're recording it and sharing it with other people today, too. <laughs> exactly. You know, I was excited about this because every time I listen to you or chat with you, I learn something new. And that's part of the beauty of organizations like the PDC, the Professional Development Consortium. Today, I just, you know, really want us to kind of think how we can help the audience that we serve as recruiters, right? Folks that come to us and are really looking to kind of take their career to the next level. What are some of the keys that you think are required or some of those things that really help people do just that? I mean, it's a good question and it's a challenging one because it's multifaceted, right? And each person that we talk to has a different set of challenges and issues that they have accumulated over the course of their life and career. But I think the thing that we do at Fringe is we try to look at the whole person and we look at them through a really thoughtful and intentional lens. And that's something I don't think a lot of folks in our world tend to do is to pause, to be reflective, to be really holistic with their thinking. So I think, you know, when you're thinking about career and job and moving and maybe making a move, it's a good opportunity to pause and use some of the skills like mindset, use some of the skills like self-reflection and self-awareness to identify what you want in the future and also to maybe realign your values. I think, you know, when I work one-on-one -on -one with leaders in law firms, especially 
the values conversation is sometimes the first time they've ever had it is with me. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. yeah. Like what, what are your values? What's important to mm-hmm. you? Mm-hmm. And there's no real response to that. And I think the saddest thing that I've encountered in all my years of working in this industry is talking to a partner who was exceptionally smart, just so smart and so good at what they did. And I said, tell me how you got here. And they said, you know, it just kind of happened. And and yeah, like, okay, so this is a podcast, so you can't see eyes just got so wide. And I don't think that's what anyone should be doing. And so the skills of actually understanding how we work, how our brains function, and how we actually intentionally achieve what it is we're going after, those are skills they're teaching them in law school. Um, and we really need them, whether you're on the business side or whether you're on the, the legal practice side, you need these skills to be really effective. That's so true. And I love this because to me, this reminds me of what one of my friends told me once. There's a difference between responding and reacting. And I think so many times people just react. They react and they don't really stop, sit back, kind of think about it and respond in a way that isn't, that is is more helpful to them and more efficient and and helpful in, in whatever you're trying to solve or do. Yeah. I think that reflection piece is the most important. And you know, I don't blame any of the people that we work with who haven't done it. I mentioned they don't teach it in law school. It's not also incentivized in our organizations, typically. You know, what's incentivized in our organizations is being busy, doing work, billing, keeping everyone, you know, constantly working and churning. Well, reflection means stopping. Right, right. It means not billing for a second. And so the rewarded behaviors are not in line with the behaviors that can get you the success that you actually want. And so then you're left with a conundrum, like, well, which one do you choose? Right. That makes so much sense. So then, okay, let's say someone does take your advice and they do pause, they start reflecting, then what? Well, then you have some challenging decisions that you've got to make. You know, I think one of the challenges that we see a lot when we get into coaching work or training work is that people realize their values are not in line with either their organization, which is a little bit easier, or their job, which is a little bit more challenging. Um, You know, when you're looking at a total changeover of what it is that I'm doing, that's challenging. Although if you look at, you know, Susan, you mentioned we met at PDC. If you look at how many members of the Professional Development Consortium, uh, a group that basically is made up of law firm professional development leaders, how many of them are former lawyers? You know, those are usually people who realize their personal values were not in line with either the practice or the firm that they were in. Yeah. And then they made a different choice. So once you've been able to reflect, now it's time to say, well, what do I do with that information. Now, is it time to get into something totally new? Is it time to just change organizations? And I think in the hiring process, we need to be as organizations more receptive to candidates asking value-based questions, really pushing to have informational conversations to make sure that, you know, the party line, the mission statement that is in on a giant poster in the lobby actually matches the experience of the people who work there, then you've got decisions that you've got to make. 
So it's like, okay, I've done this reflection. I know what's going on. Now, how do I figure out where to end up? And that's where working with really skilled professionals who understand the landscape can be really helpful. But you've got to do that self-reflection work. And then you have to be willing to do something with the information. One of the really challenging points, and I've I've seen this and I'm sure that you have as well, is when somebody realizes they're not in the right fit, but they're not ready to do the work to get out of it. And what I've seen then is an exponential increase in the resentment that they feel for their organization at that point. Because now you know, it's almost like, I mean, I, I tease a lot, but I love like asking people to qualify their working relationship with their organization as if it was romantic. And I've got, Oh, I love that question. It's great. I've gotten the best answers. I had somebody once say, Oh my God, Rachel, I think I'm, I think I'm cheating. (laughs) What do you mean? This, this person actually had a side hustle and it was like an Etsy side hustle. (laughs) Did something creative and they sold it on Etsy, but they were like, that's, it's not just lust, it's love. <laughs> you're like, I love my side hustle. I love this whole project. I love what I'm doing now. And I think when you reframe the, it is a relationship. Right, it's, right. The relationship takes up the most of our time, you know? We, we spend more time with our work colleagues and with our organization than we do sometimes with our partners. I love that. I love that. I may use that because, you know, we don't want to just be known for people that just place people and take a fee and run. We, we are in this for the long haul and we're really concerned about long-term success, right? So lateral integration, that's successful, right? Mm-hmm. And these are some of the questions I've ever used that. I love it though, but we try to ask a lot of questions around these same issues to see what motivates you, what values do you have and what's aligned with them and what's not. Sometimes people aren't really clear on those things, though. And I guess it goes back to what you said, that they're not really taking time to think about it. Yeah. A simple values assessment will take you 15, 20 minutes to complete, but will be so informative. And since we, I feel like we've, as we typically do with our conversations, as we've already gone to sort of the silly side of things, I'll share with you. Um, once we do values assessments, I oftentimes will have people use it as a litmus test for decisions. And the way that we do that is, do you remember um, going to get Chinese food and they give you the little fortune cookies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you pull out the fortune cookie and with your with your friends, probably maybe not with, with some family members, but with friends, you read the fortune cookie and what would you say after? Oh, yeah, I know. I know that. Read it on the podcast. There you go. In red. <laughs> so now you do the fortune cookie test. So you take your core value that you just decided And then you put it at the end of a statement and you look for, does that make sense? So if I say that one of my core values is generosity, and then I say in my organization, we're not allowed to spend time mentoring because, or we're not encouraged to spend time mentoring because we don't get any billable credit for that. And that helps feed my core value of generosity. Well, that sentence doesn't make any damn sense. Right, right, right. Oh, that's, that's actually showing me if you use the embed test, fortune cookie test to figure out, is this behavior in line with the value? Is this organization in line with my value? It's really obvious because the sentence either makes sense or it doesn't. Right, right. I like that. And tell right away. But I think your integration point is 
one that a lot of people overlook. And I think that's true on the organization side, probably a little bit more so than on the individual side. But I think candidates can ask a lot of questions. What does integration look like? Do you do an orientation or do you do a 30, 60, 90 day plan for me? I know know, we are working with a couple of firms on what we're just calling onboarding modernization, because quite frankly, onboarding in law firms is woefully behind, you know, 15 Zooms in one day and then asking people to retain that information. So creating interactive, asynchronous, self-paced onboarding procedures that then make sure there's like consistency across the firm, that every new person who joins that organization is getting the same information, that they can go back to that information easily. I think sometimes we like our sort of pen and paper industry, but there are a lot of opportunities to use technology to advance these interpersonal connections. And it's interesting because sometimes leaders will come to me and they'll say, oh, you know, if we use technology, then it's going to feel like we're more distant. Interesting. But it's a tool. All it is is a tool. That's it. Well, and you can make the tool what you need it to be. So, you know, we have actually gotten feedback from that asynchronous onboarding that people feel more connected because when we do that, we were able to record, say, all the practice group leaders at that firm. And they're all in that onboarding. Right. So what do you do? You video each of those practice group leaders and they tell a little bit about the practice, the firm, you know, their career trajectory, that kind of thing. I like it. They welcome. So it's, you're able to expand the concept of what is onboarding. Yeah. What is, how do we build connections here? How do we make sure we can make more connections? So I think asking questions on the candidate side, all the way through about what is it actually, what's it going to look like? What's my first week going to look like? What's my first month going to look like? That's going to tell you a lot about that organization. It does. And I think from the perspective of both the candidate and and the firm, painting a picture so that people can imagine themselves there helps you recruit effectively. Right. Because, and you know, you know this about me, I've been flitting back and forth between the law firm world and and outside of it, back and forth and outside of it, I keep coming back to y'all. What can I say? (laughs) But, you know, outside of it, one of the things the last 10 years I've really learned is that when people feel welcomed, valued, acknowledged, heard, and trusted, they'll do almost anything for you. And when they don't feel those things, they start shutting down and they start looking for other places to be. And that sounds corny to some people, but that's a reality that has been, you know, demonstrated time and time again with all kinds of studies. And it's something we all, I think, know, you know, within ourselves. I think that there are some people who have been trained, and I don't mean that in a formal way. I mean that sort of informally, habitually over the course of their life and and their based on their experiences to disassociate, to remove emotion. And so to them, that can sound a little bit corny, right? It can sound... It can sound woo-woo. And I am typically not a fan for forcing the business case for the human behavior, but you're right. So you're referencing that core behavior of psychological safety. And, you know, for anyone who's listening to this, read 
Amy Edmondson's work on psychological safety. It is fascinating. And it is so clearly demonstrating that when people feel they can be safe in an organization, they do thrive. And when the members of an organization thrive, the organization thrives. I will tell you, we, in a lot of our workshops and trainings, we teach leaders about psychological safety and watching the light bulbs go off. They've not heard this concept before. The, the fear that it means they need to compromise on their standards is a constant through these conversations. And what they don't realize and what we teach is when you keep high standards, but you lack psychological safety, the outcome of that is anxiety. And when you look at what's happening with wellness in our industry... There's no surprise if everything has to be perfect, but you can't engage in those behaviors of psychological safety. It's horrifying. Associates will ask them, what what is an example of an interpersonal risk, right? Because definition of psychological safety is creating a space where people feel it's safe for interpersonal risk taking. So I say to them, what does interpersonal risk taking mean to you? And one of the most poignant answers I think I've ever gotten and I get it a bunch, is asking questions. So if your work has to be perfect, but you can't ask a question. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. The stress, just hearing about that makes me stress hearing about it. Right. No, I'm <laughs> no, but I'm saying it's the truth. You know, having a safe space where you can just be yourself and, and, and risk being innovative too. I mean, how does anybody think they're going to drive innovation if, if people can't ask questions, if they don't feel safe, you know, innovation doesn't happen the way push-ups do. You can tell someone to drop and give me 10 push-ups. You know, I may or may not be able to do it. I don't know, probably not right now, right? But I guarantee you, if you just say innovate, I, that's not how it goes. Yeah. yeah. No, it's behavior and it's repetition and it's yeah. habit building. And part of innovating, I think it's the perfect word choice, is this idea that you are going to have to yeah. fail. You're going to have yeah. to mess up, right? A, we have a good friend, a good mutual friend, whose tagline of their company is make yeah. mistakes. And I love that because this idea that you are going to need to make mistakes in order to learn, in order to innovate, is central to moving it forward. But it is very much, you know, historically yeah. frowned yeah, upon. Absolutely, in the absolutely, much to its detriment. And I think, though, with a rapidly changing world where technology and we're in the digital age now, I think that is going to have to shift more than it has in the past. Right? We're going to have to provide more psychological safety, help people. And if we do want to reduce those attrition numbers and all the costs associated with that, we are really going to have to take more of that approach, uh, I believe. Absolutely. Look, Gen Z is starting to enter our world. They certainly are on the business side of firms already, and they are already summer associates. Yeah, that's right. Associates. I hate to put too much pressure on any one generation, but I do believe the children are our future, as a wise woman once said. And I do think that they are going to force a shift that, you know, I, as a geriatric millennial, 
can say I started, but they're going to push it all the way across the line. And I'm excited. And the reason they're going to push things across the line, and this is my favorite thing about this generation, I'm always really careful when we talk generations, we're going to speak on the whole, right? There will always be exceptions. But when we look at Gen Z, the general thing that I love about them is that no matter what the topic is, they do not accept the premise. Yeah. I love it. I must have been, you know, I think I'm one of the founding uh, mothers of that. Don't accept the premise. <laughs> this is why you and I connect. It's so good, right? But like, okay, work happens in an office. I do not accept the premise. Right. Work happens constantly. I do not accept the premise. You can't have boundaries. I do not accept the premise. Right. So good. So good. Yeah. Everything down to most of the time. Most of the time, Rachel. There are times when it's not great. <laughs> I see. That's where I would push back. I think. I think it's always, always it's great. Yeah. Because look, for so long, been doing the same thing over and over again. And what what is the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, the same result and just thinking you're going to get a different one. And so by not accepting the premise, they're forcing all of us to say, maybe work doesn't only happen in an office. Right. Huh. We can have boundaries and still work in the legal industry. Right. I'm all for it. Yeah. Yeah. It is a culture shock. I don't know about you, but I see quite a lot of culture shock across generational issues, more so than many other issues. And that's another way that I think we can help with successful lateral integration. Right. Helping people kind of navigate through that. Tell me some of the things that your firm does. And also tell me why you called it fringe. Oh, first of all, thank you for asking that question. Very few people do. I'll start with that and then I'll tell you a little bit more about what we do. So Fringe is a three-circle Venn diagram, which I'm sure has its own name, but I'm just going to call it the three-circle Venn diagram. So the first aspect of Fringe is that when I left law firm life to go out and be an external provider, I knew that I wanted to do things differently. Like I always tease, I I left to go poke the bear, um, which is something that you don't really get to do when you're in an organization. You got to run that party line, you know? So I wanted to be on the fringes for sure. The second is that something that you know, but not a lot of people know, is that I actually have a conservatory education in music theater performance. And so- I do know that. Festival in Edinburgh is um, something that I have always loved, and I've loved actually being back in back in the day, as we say, um, like participating in new works as part of Fringe on a local basis. Cool. And then the third circle is that Fringe is slang for your neurons. So in the neuroscience, I did not know that. Yeah, so your neurons are your fringe, and that's actually where the TV show Fringe gets its name. So that's where Fringe comes from. Nice. Well, thank you. So talk to me about what you do for your clients, what kind of clients you have, and then end it with you know any advice you have for, for folks newly starting their careers and mid-career folks. Yeah. So what we do at Fringe, we've got a consultancy that focuses on helping people in a couple of different ways through individual coaching, like one-on-one engagements, through group coaching engagements, and through sort of remediation coaching, uh, whether that's with a group or with an individual. We also run workshops and large training retreats for firms, everything from, you know, 90 minutes of one-on-one time to 
you know, 500 people for the whole day and lots of interaction and those sort of facilitated programs. And then the pure consulting work where we'll go in, we've got some analysts on our team. And so we will go into your organization, do surveys, focus groups, figure out sort of what's going on that leadership doesn't always have access to, you know, right, like, right. What's the, what's the story behind the story? Yeah. You know, yeah. leadership walks around and says, Hey, how you doing? And everyone's like, we're good. Fine. Everything's great. Thank you. <laughs> you know? And so that's actually through, through all three of those different modalities, we started seeing some needs. You know, I like to tease most people in the pandemic made sourdough. I made software. So we saw these needs that we thought to your earlier point could really be solved through technology. And so over the pandemic, we actually built out some of the tools that we were using with our coaching clients and with our consulting clients into full-fledged software apps. So we now also have and administer an upward feedback platform for large organizations. And that is also something that's available for executive coaches that they can purchase and they can use it with their own coaching clients to really help advance their coaching engagements to make sure people are getting real substantive feedback, but that the people giving that feedback are protected they're anonymous, and they are able to really speak freely without fear of any sort of retaliation. So building that tool was really important for us, and it's been a lot of fun. Oh, that's great. And I think, like, you know, you ask, what can people be doing without, uh, at, at the risk of sounding like I'm just out here on my soapbox? In our organizations, I think, you know, within the legal industry in particular, and you asked who we serve, it's it's about 75% legal industry. And then over more in like the consulting, still very much professional services world, lots of people who bill by the hour. Um, and so who understand it, maybe not six minute increments, but they're still billing by the hour. And so what people really, we would hope that they can do is to not just self-reflect on their own, but to gather, receive, and absorb feedback in an effort to reflect. So not just trusting your own intuition. One of the things that we built into our assessment tool is this perception delta. So here's what I think the answer to this question is going to be. And now here's really what people say, right? right? What's the delta between what I perceive and what others perceive? then that gives you a lot of information to do that reflection that we were talking about earlier. I think, you know, mid-career folks, intentionality is huge. The story earlier of, well, I just ended up here. I don't want that to happen to anyone. I want people to really think about where they want to go in their career, what it is that's important to them. And there are a lot of ways that you can do that. There are a lot of tools that you can use. I mean, the two things that we use plentifully with our folks. One is an emotional expense audit and anyone can do it. I'm just going to like, I'll describe it. Anyone who's listening to this could take out a piece of paper and do it right now. Basically list out all the things that you do in the course of your job. And you can add your personal life to it as well. And then on a scale of one to 10, one being this drains me, this actually takes energy from me and 10 being this gives me energy. You give it a ranking. When you actually sit and reflect on your actions and what the emotional expense is for them, you have a different reframing of what you want to be doing every day. And that's not to say that just because something drains you doesn't mean you don't want to do it. Yeah, it doesn't mean you're not good at it either. But if it drains you, 
is that is that really my calling? Right. Or it may be your calling, but then it means you can't have lots of other stuff around it. Do you know? Right, right. It drains you then you can't do that and 15 other things. So good. I love calling it an emotional expense audit. I love that. I love that one. Well, like I said, we could go on for days, but we can't. So Rachel, thank you so very much for being here with us today. How can people reach you? Well, I'm on the internet, fringepd.com. And if you're interested in the feedback platform, it's fringeinsights.com. And I'm all over LinkedIn all of the time. (laughs) Well, again, thank you so very much. I'm looking forward to our next conversation. We really appreciate your insights. And we know that people like you, even in just listening to this podcast, but but hiring you or, or firms that are looking to hire you or folks that are looking to get your insights can really help people, you know, really control their careers and the direction they'd like to go. And it is an intentional thing. You know, we're not just leaves going down a river, right? We, we do have to take some control of our careers. And this is why I love doing this podcast. So thank you so much. Hope to talk again soon. Always. <laughs> Bye-bye.